Hi, uh, my name's Jeremy. I'm part of the uh, church family here, part of the, the family here at Second City. Um, we've been going through a sermon series um, looking particularly at the Beatitudes where Jesus um, preaches to the crowd, um, one of his longest discourses, um, looking at the kingdom of God. And we're going through a series called The Upside Down Kingdom. What we'll find is some of the things that Jesus says may seem unusual, but what we'll find as we look together, and as we have been looking through together, that the Beatitudes doesn't make somebody a Christian, but describes the Christian life. You see, each Beatitude starts with the word blessed. And this blessing is primarily about those who belong to the kingdom of heaven um, and what those people are like. See, Jesus starts um, with the words, blessed are the poor in spirits, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and ends in a similar way, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, to belong to the kingdom is to enter the kingdom via the narrow way. Elsewhere in the scriptures in the book of John, it says, Jesus said, and we've heard it in the song, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So from that, we know that these Beatitudes cannot be about what makes someone a Christian. Because Jesus is the one that causes to himself through his sacrifice on the cross to bring us into the kingdom but merely as a result of living out that relationship with him. This week, we're going to look at the particular beatitude where it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Bringers of peace to the world, bringers of Jesus' peace to the world. And peace is something that the world longs for especially after or during times of war, or even just going back a hundred years ago, many nations longed for peace in 1919. So picture it, it's the end of World War I, and on the 11th of November 1918, the armistice has been signed, which is an agreement made to end war between the Allies and their major opponents, amongst others, but the major one being Germany. Germany agreed to surrender their military equipment, evacuate the countries they'd been occupying during the war, and after signing the armistice, came to the Paris um, Peace Conference. In fact, Germany actually weren't invited, to be correct. But this is where the, the world came together with that direct purpose of how to rebuild the world after the turmoils of war and settle peace terms with those who lost the war. However, a world war like this had not been seen, where so many nations were involved. Those who won the war struggled even themselves to agree terms amongst themselves, each nation having their own agenda and own interests at heart. And as for those who lost, like Germany, they didn't even get a say. According to historian Margaret Macmillan, and I paraphrase some of what she said as I watched an interview of hers on a book she's written, 
called Paris 1919. The peace terms were not negotiated with those who lost the war. They were simply given by the Allies, the US, USA, Britain and France amongst them. Germany felt tremendously uh, betrayed, a great feeling of betrayal and bitterness, as they hadn't expected this. The Germans believed the process in Paris was deeply unfair and the peace terms were deeply unfair. There had even been tension and squabbling in Germany as to whether they were going to sign it, sign those peace terms. But at the very last minute, the German parliament approved the terms and sent delegates to Paris to sign the Treaty of Versailles. But back in Germany, this treaty became known as the Diktat, the dictated peace. Germany didn't get a say. The terms in their eyes were harsh and not something they had seen before. The Treaty of Versailles, which is the treaty they signed, which was just put to them, finally did bring peace, so it was thought. The agreements were forged and signed upon sheets of paper bound on legal documents and promises, but they were not bound or written on the people's hearts. Germany as a country was devastated by this treaty. And in fact, there's one particular article called Article 231 that even stated that they and their allies had taken full responsibility for all the damage in the war. And this meant Germany had to pay huge sums of money, which they could not afford. The Germans at that time were angry and hurt. Could peace last? Did it last? After the war followed the Great Depression in the 1920s. And this along with the treaty became the breeding ground for another world war, which we know as World War II. And the reason why I shared this, this particular time in history, because it presents us a great example of how nations struggled for peace, even after the, the tiresome war and the turmoil of war they just had experienced. And it's true that, that yes, there were some good things that came from the Paris Peace Agreement, such as nations learning that they should work together uh, with the international organizations being formed but theory is great, isn't it? But how they work out in practice is more important. And I would argue at this particular time with this international pandemic, it hasn't seen us come together that well, as much as we could have, with information and misinformation, countries defining each other's risk levels and so on. Will we ever truly obtain the peace that we long for? Big question. How can people who look out for their own interests ever have peace? So what does the Bible and Jesus have to say about peace? So, so what is peace? What does, how does the Bible define peace? The word uh, peace from the Bible means a few things and its origins uh, are in the word shalom a word shared in the Jewish community even up to this day um, as a common greeting. And looking at doing a bit of research, looking at the Strong's Concordance, it defines uh, uh, peace, uh, peace in the, in the Greek taken from this beatitude as uh, peace or peace of mind, 
health, welfare of an individual, or in the Hebrew, uh, and, and some more senses of completeness, soundness, and welfare. And actually looking back through the Bible story, when it came to nations having times of peace, we can look in the Old Testament as uh, looking at the people of Israel. Two things marked them out. They had a peaceful relationship with God for a time. And the results of peace also meant they had peace um, from other nations. In the book of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 4, it says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side, and there is no adversary or disaster. Speaking about famously King Solomon, who experienced a time of peace during his reign for 40 years. King Solomon himself was the, the, the king of Israel. He was a third king after Saul and then David. And his name is quite interesting. His name actually encompasses those two things. His name Solomon itself derives from the word Shalom. And I've highlighted the consonants in the slide there to show kind of a little bit about how the Hebrew language works and how you can see why his name also means peace. But his name Solomon means peace. And the name he was given by the prophet Nathan, another name, Jedidiah, means loved by God. So the peace of his name, coupled with his relationship with God, kind of encompasses those two things. And Israel flourished and the kingdom stayed unified under the rule of King Solomon until his death, where the kingdom divided. And why did it divide? Because, in fact, King Solomon's heart had turned from the God of peace to other gods. And you can read more about that and you'll see how um, through relationships with his many wives, his heart was turned from the Lord. And this story is not an unusual story. It's the same story throughout the Bible. No peace ever lasted. The time of the judges or um, uh, with one case in point. Until one thing, until Jesus came. Israel broke off their relationship with God and their peace was gone. They couldn't uh, live in harmony with God. You could say, in fact, that their hearts were simply not in it. So as we talk about this subject of peace, I just want to lay out a little bit of a structure of kind of how I'm going to hopefully share this with us. So we start, we're going to start off with the character of God, that God is a God of peace. And that God himself, because of his character, that he's a peacemaker. And as people come into relationship with this God of peace, who makes peace with the world, and those who trust in him also carry that peace and in turn become peacemakers themselves, sharing the peace that Jesus gives us. And I thought a great uh, way to think about it was like, a, I don't have a slide for this, but a great way to think about it, it's like a waterfall. So if the character of God is at the top of the waterfall and the, the, the water coming down is the, the peace he's making with us and that falls on us, and the overflow of what comes out of us, the peace we receive from Jesus is also then we outpour that onto others. So we're just conduits, we're, we're carriers of God's peace. And um, that imagery is quite nice. In the book of John 4, 
And the book of John, chapter 4, verse 10, it says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is speaking to a woman at the well when he says these words. And she responds, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus himself is the living water. And that's what we learn from those passages. Jesus is the source of peace. So where is this peace found? It comes from the very being of God. And as Christians, we believe for eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, have been living in harmony with one another. And out of this harmonious, flourishing relationship, the earth was formed, and the ecosystem of all things, animals, people, plants, weather systems, planets, were all working in harmony. Some like to call this the fine-tuning argument of the universe. I like to believe it's the God of order um, and Christians believe and trust this order came from, from God himself. You know, those beautiful words um, God says in Genesis to Adam and Eve and to the rest of creation, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. The earth is in harmony. The earth is flourishing. We are one with God, at peace with him, and at peace with creation. We're in safe and secure boundaries. So the heart of God is that God is a God of peace. And that's his desire, is that he desires to have peace with his creation. But as I said before, the Bible story shows us that attempts were made even Solomon himself, the man whose name himself means peace and was loved by God, showed that, that we couldn't keep that, that peace with God. Our hearts continue to turn from him. And this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus is our peace. Because Jesus gives us a peace that will last. And that will always, without any problem, be refreshed. Jesus is that living water that won't run dry because it's not based on our strength, our conviction, our faithfulness, but it's laid in the promises of his faithfulness, his strength, his accomplished work on the cross. You see, what Jesus did was he, he died to deal with the sin that drove us away from harmony with God. Jesus died to deal with the sin that drives us from harmony with each other. And that's why the reading in Ephesians was read. And, and most importantly, because even after the anxiety of thinking, Jesus, yes, Jesus dealt with my sin and, and he's brought us together as God's people. But what about the future? It says Jesus died to give us a true hope that we could live in lasting harmony with God. And this is the crux of it. Solomon had peace for a time, it went. Adam and Eve had peace for a time and it went. So many times in history, peace has come to people and it's gone. But in Jesus, we have that perfect promise that the peace we have 
will not go because it's not based on ourselves, it's based on him. And he gives us little, little promises, little um, ways to secure us in that peace. He gives us the, 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 you know, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. You just keep on opening that present, which is Jesus. And he says, yeah, there's more grace. Yeah, there's more peace. Don't worry, that sin is covered. He says words to us like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that we are new creations in Christ's, in, 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 new creation, the new, cre- <laughs> let me read it properly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Or even the promise of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the Christian life. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, that's past tense, the flesh, with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5, 24 to 25. You see, this is where we see it fleshed out that God concretely is a God of peace. He's a peacemaker. And knowing that it is Christ who's brought harmony with us, harmony, uh, harmony uh, us to God. And he's done it so wonderfully. You see, the quality of this peace are that it's full of truth and it's understood. There's no deceptions, no what-ifs, no or buts or maybe, or what part do I need to play in order to ensure that it carries on? It's the it's it's peace that we can rest and find security in. And hopefully, as you've heard about Christ and, and all that he's accomplished, I pray that you may be refreshed even now. Because Jesus' peace is a forever peace. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or you're coming to, to know about who Jesus is, I want to assure you that Jesus alone makes it possible for you to know your maker. And Christians are simply people who have just known that before you know that at this point. I myself was not always a Christian. So I myself was sitting where you were sitting and and made that choice. And I've not regretted it since. And this God of peace, Jesus our peace, is something that we as Christians experience ourselves. Not always, not all times, but it's something that God um, calls us to, to continue to to experience. As I, said, as I said before, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. His well never runs dry. And Jesus' peace is, is not a circumstantial peace. It's not a peace that says, oh, I had a good day. Lord, can, can I get some of that peace? It's a peace that's irrespective of how our day has gone, whether you had a rubbish day, whether you've you mucked up, you don't think you've lived well as a Christian that day, that, that even especially at those times, that peace is what God wants to remind you of so that you would run back to him. You know, we've got great promises that God gives us in the Bible of, it, of this experience of peace. 
you know that one in, uh, in Philippians? I haven't written that particular one down, but, you know, it says, um, when you're, um, you know, do not be anxious, but with prayer and petition, give your, your prayers to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you're anxious, you're worrying, something that you know, God calls us not to do. But in the midst of it, God calls you to call to him to receive that peace. You know, he gives us that wonderful promise it's in Matthew uh, 6, 25 to 26. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Or we think about security. Maybe we look to money, power, status, knowledge to build our own security. But we can see those things quickly fall down and are outside of our control, whether it's economic depression or a pandemic like we're living in now. Can these things truly assure us of, of in thinking back to the definition of peace, welfare, uh, for us as individuals, as a society? No. And you see, Jesus has a promise there. It says, and this is the will of him who sent me, Jesus says, that I will not lose, one, uh, lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And lastly, sin is what probably disturbs our peace the most. It says, grace covers all sin, the Lord says, no matter what you have done. You see in Romans 5, 21, 20, 20 to 21, it says the law was brought in so that, so that tr uh, the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And at this last point, as I've already said, is the greatest disturber of our peace. When we sin, we thank God he doesn't leave us in that state. And since sin is the greatest disturber of our peace as Christians, it may seem at first glance the most obvious solution is just, just, just stop sinning. You know, if it's troubling your peace, just, just, just stop sinning. But what does that even mean? And it's right in one sense we, we seek to become more like Jesus each day, living by the power of his spirit. But if we just think to ourselves, just, just stop sinning, we miss a beautiful step in the process of not sinning, which is whenever God calls us to live a certain way, he equips us with his presence, power and love. And these are things he calls us to when we're, when we're in the fight with sin, his presence, his power, and his love. For within them, you find the freedom to live for God. You know, Jesus says, bear with one another, forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against you, forgive, um, someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Think of God's forgiveness to you, then forgive. So what is sin? Um, Give us a refresher course on that. So sin is simply worshipping anything or anyone more than God. It's saying if you want to get through life or live life to the full or understand what life is, I'm not going to go to God for that solution. I want to look to myself or others or whatever. But God is the author of life, the creator of life. 
he fully embodies in his person life itself. So when put in that light, sin is so horrible. Who else could we go to? And as Peter says, you, Lord, have the words of eternal life, saying to Jesus. And please don't misunderstand me on this point particularly. The main issue is sin, but there's a slightly bigger problem. is The effect sin has on us when we do it, especially what we think of ourselves and what we think of God and those we heard before, our loving Heavenly Father. See, that's the true power and evil of sin. It robs us of experiencing the one who has, a, who's greater, more powerful than even our sin. And that is God, Jesus, our peace. Remember God's character. He's um, slow to anger and abounding in love, you, you read in the Old Testament. And he's the same God today, yesterday and forever. I just encourage you to look at more promises of God on, on, on that note. You know, when we, when we sin, God calls us to lay our sin, my sin, our sin, to find to God, lay it at the cross, to find him in our time of need. You see, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And in the... In the and I just want to just say one, one verse on this. It's probably one we at times uh, struggle with. And to, to know and experience. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So what do you believe after you sin? We've got this little table. Um, I'm just going to show you a little table. Things I've, I've probably thought myself as a Christian, and, and, and actually, what does Christ tell me? He says, why do you call yourself a Christian is after I've sinned? You call yourself a Christian, you can't be a Christian. You've sinned, and you're messing up. But Jesus says, you are mine. Remember who you are. Repent, that is, turn away from your sin, and keep going. You're still mine. Or how long have you been a Christian? You still have not stopped that habit? Jesus will say again, as we saw in Romans, it's okay, my grace covers your sin. Doesn't matter how many times. Remember what I said to Peter about, about sin? And you can look that up in the Gospels about when Peter asked, how many times should I forgive my brother? Or try harder, you might get it right with God and prove yourself to be a Christian like the other folk in church who are doing well. And Jesus will say to that, I prove you are a Christian. My blood my sacrifice, my giving of the Holy Spirit. Do not try harder on your own. Believe and live empowered by my Spirit. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Romans 5, 20, 21, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So if that's sin is a great disruptor sometimes of our peace, we can see that grace and, and Jesus covers even our sin. And this empowers us to experience that peace and embody that peace as we seek to share that with others. Making peace with others. You see, as you grow in that knowledge of that peace, you would extend that peace out to others. But peace 
like many things, starts at home. Our Christian community. Now, just here, I'll just say some quick points. Brothers, sisters, family, uh, let's love one another. Uh, Knowledge puffs up, uh, but love builds up. Let's speak truth and love to one another. Let there be no more camps or competing. Um, As we know the Lord, we are all valued in him. We all may think differently and have different personalities and people are diverse. Um, You know, most arguments probably come from misunderstanding. So for us to see the fruit of our, our one mind, we need to use some of the characteristics of our citizenship as Christians. And one I noted and and looked at was in James, it's just a small little one, um, being um, slow to speak and quick to listen. And listening is really about what you do. It's not really about what you do, it's a response of what you think of others. You listen because you believe what other people say is just as important as what you say because they have as much dignity and value as you do. Not based on how knowledgeable they are or what position they hold within ministry or whatever. Stay-at-home parent, child, elderly, pastor, whoever you are, in Christ we all have value. They, someone might even say something that's wrong, but does, does that really matter? Um, just be slow to speak, quick to listen, Because in your listening, you get to know people more. And then you know how to speak into each other's lives and truth with love. You get to find out that whole person. And the other big reason why we need to come together as as a Christian community, and I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful to God here at Second City, we are growing together as a church and there's so many things to go for, it actually impacts our witness. Jesus says in John 17, 20, 23, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in, the, in, in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, as we are united as, and it goes on 23, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Our unity is part of our mission. As the world outside, those who aren't Christians, see the way we love each other, they'll say, wow, that there's something going on there. How is it that these people, they're all quite different, but they all love each other. What, what, what's going on? They might, they might, they might say something's going on, it must, must be God. Maybe there's a, yeah, that's what's going on. That's the power of Jesus, as we read in the Ephesians, that breaks down the wall of hostility between us. And in terms of um, sharing the message of Christ, not just in, in our embodied unity, but that unity going out, is um, keep your, your ears and your eyes open. Um, and, but do it remembering Christ. And, you know, that bit in, in Peter, it talks about... Uh, um, you know, be, be, be always, yeah, be always, uh, I've got it here. <laughs> but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, and this is the bit, with gentleness and respect, 
keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against you, against your, um, so, though the, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Sometimes you'll share the gospel and people will be like, oh, I, I don't like it. But they'll be like, but I can't, that, he wasn't annoying. He, he was actually quite nice to me as he shared it. Um, yeah, okay, what am I going to do with that? But that, that's part of our witness. That's, that's part of our witness. It, sometimes it's not about winning that argument, but it's about showing Christ gentleness and respect so they see the characteristics of the kingdom. And that's, that's who they fall in love with. They fall in love with the person of God. Um, you know, God has knowledge, but he builds us up with love. So, so, so reaching out to others. And naturally, as we share the gospel, gospel we know that some people will not want uh, that peace, the peace that Christ offers. And God is a God of peace. God is a, a peacemaker. And as I said before, his character is that he's slow to anger. God is full of compassion, slow to anger, bounding in love. But he says in that passage there, he says, showing love to thousands of generations, yet still holding, uh, you know, sin accountable to the third and fourth generation. I paraphrase, that's, that bit's in, in Exodus. Do read it. But you see that God's, God's love abounds, his grace abounds, but yet because sin is, and God, because sin is a, a destruction of things, it's us saying we don't need God. It's us saying that, you know, God, you're not important. God is a God of justice and he doesn't like to see brokenness, rebellion and sin in his world. But he pours out his love first. And this is why you, you see Jesus say these words, which might seem surprising to us. And he says these words, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. And you're like, what? But I thought this whole thing about peacemaking, what's going on? He said, I did not, bring, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a, daughter, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemy with members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses it, um, um, whoever loses it, whoever loses it for, for their life for my sake will find it. But anyone who welcomes me, uh, welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. You see, the point here Jesus is making is saying, I have come to bring peace. I've come to bring flourishing. I've come to give life, choose life. But if you, if you don't choose it, then there's, there's, there's not life anywhere else. So, so for you, you will find a sword. But that's, that's not what God wants. He desires for you to know him, to know the maker who made you and loved you. In Genesis, it talks about how he, he called us, um, he said, he made us, and he says, uh, uh, multiply, be fruitful, cultivate, subdue the earth. Like, he, he, he's given us the earth, but all of that in harmony, harmony with him, so that it will indeed flourish. So it, indeed, it will be harmonious. We, we're struggling to work out how to do that ourselves. Don't, don't, I, I think I see that clearly each day, but, but God in Christ is saying, 
come back to me. Or there will, sadly, be a sword. You see, God is a God of peace. That's why he's made peace with us through Jesus. He's made, us, made a way for us to have peace with each other, slow to speak, uh, quick to listen. And now that we've received this peace, we're people of peace. And as people of peace, we want to work that out each day. What does that look like? Bear with one another um, and all, the, all that. And on the united front, be peacemakers to the world using all the ways in which God is shaping us as people of peace so people may not merely hear us say words about peace, but they see with power the demonstration of God's gospel. I'm just going to end with this lovely, lovely psalm, Psalm 133. And it says these, it's like poetic almost, you know, says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. As if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore and we see the fulfillment of this psalm in Jesus giving us life forevermore thank you let me just say a quick prayer for us um, before we close uh, heavenly father I thank you that you're a god of peace that you are slow to anger and abounding in love but I thank you as you you offer this peace lord it's it's not a peace that is offered forever, but there is a day when, when that, that door will not be open. So Lord, as you, you share by your spirit this love, even, even this afternoon, I pray anyone who doesn't know you, just like I didn't know you at one point, Lord, I pray that they might just want to inquire about who this person of Jesus is, who offers lasting peace. And I pray for us here as a, as a church family at Second City, Lord, that you would help us to be united with one another, loving one another, and being slow to speak, quick to listen, to value one another, because we are not valued on what we do, but valued because we are in you, Lord Jesus. And you accept us all as your brothers and sisters and as family. And I pray that you would help us to show that to the world. Um, help us, we pray, because you, you, we need your grace, need your help, need your spirit. Um, for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.